0: Nonetheless, if you open your Bibles this morning to John, John chapter 12, as we continue our study through the gospel of John, I do hope and trust that it is meaningful for you. And, um, you know, each section uh, is a bit different as we come into this final week of Jesus, and today, as a, as I have the title of this, that the journey to the cross begins. Uh, really, it's been a long time coming, and when does it actually begin? Uh, but nonetheless, today <clears throat> that passage of scripture is before us, and so some some of the scriptures are are much more teaching, and and some are more uh, a narrative. Some are more in story form, and and so it is a challenge to. Um, to bring them to you, so I do trust that you also study and read the text for each given Sunday, as uh, God opens your heart and your mind uh, what he has from his word. And so John chapter twelve, starting at verse twelve, reading down through verse nineteen God's inspired word reads, on the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the of the palm trees and went out to meet him, and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sit it on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at first. But when Jesus was glorified, when they remembered that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him when they called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him, because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see, that you're not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Father, I pray that that would, uh, that would be our desire, that that would be our goal, that that would be our objective this morning, that not just the world, but that we would go after you. And Father, that we would seek your face, that we would seek your direction, your guidance, your leading in our life. Father, there's so many choices that come before us day by day, and and uh, sometimes it can be so difficult to make decisions. And so, Lord, I just pray As we continue to to look through your word, that your spirit would illuminate this text for us so that we can understand it and understand how to apply it to our life these 2,000 years later. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. The journey to the cross begins. I don't know about you all, but I love to travel. I love to go on a journey. We travel for pleasure. We travel to see family, we travel for business, we travel for a missions trip. No matter the degree of like or dislike for travel, we all must travel from time to time. Not all journeys are pleasant, and some journeys we may downright despise to take. All journeys start with a purpose, and all journeys start with preparation. So today's text in John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19, I've titled, The Journey to the Cross Begins. We know this passage of Scripture as Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, when Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And this journey to Jerusalem, one final time for Jesus, changes everything. Changes everything. So what was the purpose of this journey Why was this journey taken, and when was this journey taken? These three questions we will work through today, and we will start with what was the purpose of this journey? What was this purpose of Jesus riding into Jerusalem? Well, the purpose of this journey, this one final trip into Jerusalem for Jesus, was the cross was the cross. Jesus came into Jerusalem, rode into Jerusalem to die. But before we put this journey analogy aside, we must take a look at another aspect of any journey. When does the journey actually begin? The day you set out on the journey? When you start your preparations for the journey? Or does the journey begin at first thought? At first thought, that enters your mind that this journey must take place. So, on this final trip to Jerusalem, which ended in the death of Jesus, was it just an unfortunate outcome of circumstances beyond the control of Jesus? Was it the lack of planning on Jesus' part? Some would have us believe that the outcome of this journey to Jerusalem was the obvious result of bucking the system, of bucking the political and and bucking the religious system. And so the obvious result, of course, was the cross. That was the Roman way. But was this journey really an accident? Or did it have its genesis in a greater purpose? Where did it start? What does Jesus say about it? Jesus said at the Last Supper, as recorded by his disciple Mark, at the Last Supper on this Passover week, Jesus said this in Mark chapter 10, verse 33 and following. He said, Behold, we, speaking of the disciples, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him. Spit on him, scourge him, kill him, and three days later, he will rise again. Now, that's what Jesus told his disciples before it ever happened. And again, in Luke's account of the Passover week in Luke chapter 22, verse 22, he said, For indeed, Jesus' words, for indeed the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, as it has been determined. Determined is just a point, it's to to set, it's to fix. It's something that's been established, it's something that's been determined before time. And in John, next week or the following week, I'm not sure when we'll get to John chapter 12, verse 27, the 27th verse, Jesus says this, now my soul has become troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but... For this purpose, I came to this hour. For this purpose, I came to this hour, Jesus said. What about after the fact? What about after the death and resurrection of Jesus? In, in Acts, in the chapter 2, the famous first sermon, the famous sermon by, by Peter, Peter had this to say, he said, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus of Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourself know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Now notice in Peter's sermon, he's highlighting two points. It's his perspective on it. He says, not just determined, it was, it was predetermined. It's just a prefix, pre-beforehand. Before it was determined, it was set beforehand in stone, if you will, and by the foreknowledge. And foreknowledge is just God's omniscient wisdom. It's his, his intention. So both, it's been predetermined, and it was by the foreknowledge of God. But it's not just that God knew what was going to happen. You know, it's not just that that God could look down the oracles of time, as we like to say, or hear some folks, I don't like to say, but as we hear some folks like to say, it's like, no, this is something that God not only knew, but God set it in motion. God put it into place. God did not just know this was going to happen, but God predetermined that this was going to happen, that this was the route Before the foundations of the world, God knew this was the plan. God set out that this is how salvation, that this is how man, that this is how life, that this is how eternal life is going to come to us. Does it mean we understand it as we will see today, that even the disciples themselves didn't fully understand? But that is what Scripture says why it came about. And you and we must understand that your faith, that your salvation, that your eternal destination is rooted and founded in Scripture. In Scripture. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. At the birth of Jesus, or prior to the birth of Jesus, as the angel came and spoke to Mary, these are the words it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from His, or from their, from their sins, from their sins. And so as we come to our text here this morning, and as we see Jesus, and I've titled this, that the journey to the cross begins, it didn't begin on this Palm Sunday morning, which was probably actually Monday, but nonetheless, um, that it, it's not when the journey actually began. The journey to the cross began before the world was ever, ever even created. And here we see in our text today <clears throat> that we see that therefore, uh, oh, I'm sorry, verse 12, on the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast. Now, some also want to think that that this large crowd was just the crowd that was out at the tomb with Jesus when Jesus rose Lazarus from the grave. And, and certainly that would have been the case, but that was not just the the crowd that was there was also the crowd that had already been to Jerusalem, that had already been there. And as we we looked at last week, they were wondering, hey, you think Jesus is going to come down? I mean, they just rose Lazarus from the grave and the people are trying to kill him. You think he'll show up for Christmas dinner? I mean, this was the big, the Passover was like the biggest event. And that's why I say Christmas dinner, because that's often our biggest events of the year. It's Christmas time. And Passover, that was the highlight of the year, if you will, for the Jewish people. Surely Jesus is not going to miss out. And so the crowd was waiting and expecting and they would watch Twitter and Facebook and Instagram account and see, hey, yeah, he's coming. I see pictures of whatever. Right. How did that word spread? How did the word spread? But they all knew they knew he was coming. These are the crowds in verse 12 that went out to find him, and they took branches of the palm trees, and they went out to meet him, and the palm trees, the branches of the palm trees, I mean, they were, they were everywhere. There was just palm trees growing everywhere, like we might have cypress or, or things like that growing around everywhere, and they grabbed these palms, and they, and they wave them. Some like to also think, well, this was a sign of, 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 of a noble person coming into town or, or some um uh, some chief or some uh, uh, king or some ruler of some sort like that that's coming to town and the palms are just saved for them no I don't, we don't want to spiritualize this too much it just is what it is they took what was available it was available for them and they waved this they waved the palms there that was done uh, at times in the past in other circumstances especially there during the Maccabean revolt but uh, that's that's history shows that it was the practice of the people to do such a thing and that's what they did. And so, so the waving of the palms may well have signaled the nationalistic hope that a messiah, that the messianic liberator was arriving on the scene, as one commentary puts it. Well, I'm not sure that it was exactly that they thought for sure this through, but they got caught up in the moment. The excitement of the time as this person, this, this popular, this, this, this controversial figure has come riding into the town. And, and certainly... Maybe that's what it signaled, but did they really know that this was the Messiah that was riding into the town? I doubt it. I doubt they fully knew and that they fully, fully understand. And so in verse 13, we also see that as they were waving these palm branches, as Jesus is riding into into town, they shout, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now, Hosanna is just give us salvation. In in, in the Hebrew, it's just "Just give us salvation, save us. Save, I pray. Save, I pray. That is the, that's what they're shouting and that's what they're, they're saying as Jesus is riding in. You know, again, is it, did they really fully understand what they were doing? Did they really fully understand that this truly was the Messiah riding into town? I don't know. I'm not sure that they, they fully did, but also in verse 13, they said, who comes in the name of the Lord? Save us. Save us now, I pray who comes in the name of the Lord, they understood. Or maybe they didn't understand. But they, what they were saying was that this person riding into town, riding on the donkey here, was they needed him to save. They knew that he was coming in the name of the Lord. And, you know, to try to put a little bit of application to this, my mind was struck just a little bit that, you know, each one of us who names the name of Christ, we too come in the name of the Lord, do we not? Isn't that who we speak? We don't speak on our own behalf. We don't share what, what, what that I have or what you may have. No, when we share our faith, when we share our hope, when we share the gospel with someone, we do it that we're coming in the name of Christ. And I also want to put a cautionary word to that, that as Christians, as people who name the name of Christ, we should be careful the name that we're carrying, should we not? We should be careful how we live and what we say in one breath and that what we live and what we say in another breath. We must be very careful because we are ambassadors of Christ and the things that we say um, and when we come in the name of Christ do carry some weight, does it not? It's a reflection on our Lord and Savior. So we must be careful. But here that's what they're saying. that They acknowledge that Jesus is coming in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the name in the Lord, even the king of Israel. Now in, in, verse, in verse 14, verse 14 says, Jesus, finding a donkey, sat on it as it was written, as it was written. Um, I, I don't put a whole lot of emphasis on the idea that he rode this donkey, that it was a... Well, let me start over on that thought. <clears throat> um You know, obviously, much ink has been spilled on this idea that Jesus rode in on a donkey. Um, I kind of like the King James translation of that, but we'll leave that one aside. But he comes riding into town on on a donkey, right, on this very low animal. And And a ruler and a king would come in on a war horse as Jesus will in Revelation. But they thought that, no, this was Jesus one last time. It was one more opportunity for Jesus. To come riding into town and say, I am your king, I am your savior, turn to me. I, 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 don't, I don't go along with that that line of thinking totally. Um simply because uh why why would you do that, right? I mean if you're here as people's, if you're here riding into Passover as the Messiah, why why wouldn't you? Ride a horse of honor. Why wouldn't you ride this great stallion into town? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? I, I don't know that I totally see it that way. I almost see it in a different way as, as um, as Jesus riding in, not in a way of mockery, because that wouldn't have been in the nature and the character of Jesus, but just in the way of the foolishness of the nature that Jesus is coming into town and what is to transpire throughout that week as a lowly person as a humble person but verse 14 it says as it was written as it was written so why did Jesus ride the donkey into town because that's what the prophet Zechariah said he was going to do that's my next point Jesus rode into town to fulfill scripture all scripture must be fulfilled and that's at the root of it is why he rode the donkey into town He needed to fulfill Scripture. Now, that maybe is a bit of a simplistic way of saying it, but over and over and over it tells us that the people refused Jesus and that Jesus rode into Jerusalem this Passover Sunday was simply just to fulfill the Scripture. And in verse 16 also it says that these things His disciples did not understand at first. I mean, how were they to understand these things? As they seen these things happen, as they seen them transpire before them, how were they supposed to understand those things? And that is a common theme throughout the biblical text. In Luke chapter eighteen, Jesus told them that what he was, was going to happen to them, what, or what was going to happen to him, and he told his disciples what was going to happen. And it says that disciples they didn't understand. Luke chapter twenty four, same deal. Or Luke chapter 18, yeah, we it did weren't gonna understand the Luke chapter 24, as they were two are walking on the road to Emmaus, they not understand until Jesus opened their minds to what the scripture has to say. You know, sometimes we think we need to understand everything first. I'm this way. I'm 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 very much this way. If I don't understand something, it's gonna be difficult for me to do it. But I'm not sure that's the correct approach, is it? I mean, there's many things that we don't understand that are taught in the Scriptures that we don't understand. We don't even like, if we want to be honest. And yet, we don't have to understand it, do we? We don't have to understand it, do we? See, just as the seed that is sown and is not instantly seen, so too are the works of God. As Paul wrote that some people plant, some people water, But it is God who gives the increase. It is God who gives the growth. We may not fully understand, just like that seed, how can you understand that that little seed is going to turn into whatever it's supposed to turn into, but eventually it does. And I believe that's how we are, and that's how the disciples were. We see it throughout the text, that we don't always understand things at first. We don't always understand maybe the why at first, but we need to be faithful to what the word what the scriptures tell us and with time with time God will open our minds to understand we're required to be faithful not necessarily require, required to understand see it says in verse 16 there then it says that <laughs> exactly what John says but when Jesus was glorified meaning when Jesus rose from the grave and ascended into to heaven that's glorification when he was glorified then they remembered these things were written of him. Then they remembered, oh, yeah, that's what he was trying to tell us. That's what the prophets were saying. And that they had done these things to him. Then they understood the things that were said of him and the things that were done to him. They understood them after, after the fact. You see, to know, to follow, to be obedient to Christ is to know what is written about him. It's to know what has been written about him. Just like the disciples. It's not like they forgot. They didn't just forget these things happened to him. They didn't just forget what things were said. They just didn't under, understand at first. And to know is not the same as to accept and to surrender to Christ. But it begins It begins by knowing. It begins by knowing. Until we know, we cannot accept. And until we cannot surrender, until we know. It all hinges upon first knowing before we can accept. This is why reading our Bibles is so important. It's so important. I have conversations so often and I try to be very careful. But sometimes those people share their thought or their feelings, which I always welcome. I'm always um, taken back sometimes how it's not necessarily based on the biblical text. And I'm reminded that or, or thought, maybe maybe we don't know the biblical text that well. I mean, we need to know. We need to know what the text says. Then as these things come into our life, we can reflect, we can reflect back. But anyways, life must not be guided by our feelings. Life must be guided by what is written. Life cannot be guided how I feel about something. Life must be guided by what is written. What is written. See, these Jewish people, these self-righteous religious people, they refused to accept. They refused to understand what was written. And they were instead driven by their feeling. They're feeling that their power is being stripped from them. They're feeling that their, their traditions are being taken away from them and that the Romans are going to come in and, and take over their temple. Remember that? Take over their temple and their very way of life. They were driven by their feeling, by that. That was what motivated them. And obviously, this is a recipe for disaster, is it not? Well, the what, Jesus rode into Jerusalem to die. The why, Jesus rode into Jerusalem to fulfill the Scripture. Then the when, Jesus rode into Jerusalem at Passover. At Passover. Exodus chapter 12, verse... um, Three. I want to read a few from the first Passover, a few verses there for you. Put it back before your mind. It's very significant. In, in, in um, Exodus chapter 12 at verse 3, it um, says, this is Moses speaking to the people, Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt speaking to the people. It says, speak to all the congregations of Israel. God is instructing them. On the 10th of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Now, if your household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, which was typically 10, according to what each man should eat. You are to divide the lamb. And then in verse 5, your lamb shall be unblemished male, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of that same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. This was the first Passover that was set into place by God as they were leaving, as God is is saving them from Egypt, from Egypt. Josephus Uh, records for us one account where where, um, a census was taken at a particular Passover, and and he he wrote this. He said that that particular Passover, there was 256,500 sheep. So, I mean, if you want to do math times 10, you'd have over 2.5 million people, but that's another thing. 256,500 sheep. Slaughtered at twilight in a city, in a temple, in the synagogue. What's that been like? And here, as the lambs are driven into Jerusalem, 256,500. They need to get ahead of there ahead of time. They needed to be inspected for perfection. Here, as these lambs are being driven into Jerusalem, I see Jesus come riding in on his donkey as that perfect, blameless, spotless lamb. They had no idea. They had no idea. Isaiah 53, 7 says, like a lamb that is led to slaughter. John chapter 1, verse 29, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here comes Jesus, riding in on his donkey, pressing their buttons, because the hour has now come. Revelation chapter 5, get to the end of the story. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. Maybe verse 5. Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. Has to open the book and its seven seals. And then John looks and he says, Behold, I, between the throne and the elders, a lamb standing as if slain. Verse 11, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels in the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them, myriads and myriads and thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power, riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's the end of the story. John gives us the end of the story before he, he gets into the rest of Revelation. That's the lamb that rode into Jerusalem here on this first Palm Sunday morning, riding on the donkey see see caiaphas way back it seems like a long time ago by now in the 11th chapter caiaphas had no idea what he was saying when he says "It's expedient that one man die for the nations then the whole nation perish right and just last week mary mary did not know that she was anointing jesus for burial and then here in our verse here today the religious leaders they did not fully understand the power that is being released by them killing Jesus. We may not understand. We may not understand the plan, but this was the plan from the very beginning. And the journey to the cross begins today, begins today. And the rest of the John, we will be focusing upon that last week. But I must ask you, how was your journey going? how is your journey with the slain lamb going have you fully surrendered even when you don't understand have you surrendered to what is written do you lay yourself before him on a daily basis lord help me maybe as thomas prayed lord help my unbelief i pray that as you study along with me as we go into this last week of jesus that you too will study and put yourself before god as we do th- as we take this this journey together. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your willingness to humble yourself. Lord, I am such a proud man. I rarely care to humble myself. And yet, Lord, you, the Holy One of God, rode in on a stinking donkey, humbled yourself for me and for us. Lord, I pray as we think about some of these thoughts that you would search your hearts and minds. And Father, that most of all, that you would search our hearts and minds in relation to you. Have we surrendered ourself to you? The one, the only, true King, true Lord, true Savior, true Messiah. Pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.